Well, this morning we begin a six-week sermon series from the Gospel of John. We're going to look at John 3 through 9. And we're told in John 1 that nobody has seen God, the Father, at any time. But the Son, who became one of us, he explains the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, you're to look at Jesus Christ. If you want to know how God thinks, notice the words and the logic of Jesus. If you want to know how God feels, notice the emotions of Jesus, whether it's his anger at times or his tears at times. If you want to know what Jesus would say to you, notice what Jesus said to specific people in the Gospels. And so what we're going to do in the next six weeks is we're going to examine six conversations Jesus had with people or groups of people. And we're entitling this sermon series, Answering God, because implicit in each of these chapters, and sometimes explicit, there are questions that are posed by what Jesus said. Uh, John 5, Jesus asked a man, do you want to be made well? That's a question he asks us. Today we're going to see a series of, of questions that are implicit in John 3. And uh, some of you probably have never read uh, these chapters in John. And our hope for you is that you would be just as amazed as the original hearers were. Others of you, these are very familiar passages. My encouragement to you is to enter into these passages and listen as if you have never heard them before. As I've studied these passages recently, it has, has occurred to me that there are many things that Jesus is describing in these chapters that I really experience very little of. And so our, our desire, wherever you are in your walk with God, is that, that these, these messages would be powerful, that God would use this word, his word to do a deep work in your life. Today we begin in John 3, Jesus' conversation with a man named Nicodemus. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs, these miraculous signs that you do, unless God is with him. The portrait we have of Nicodemus in, in chapter 3 is, is fascinating. I mean, he's like anybody's five-star recruit spiritually. And so he was spiritually conscientious. He was a Pharisee. Paul tells us in Acts 25 that they were the strictest sect within Judaism. Uh, he was intelligent and well-educated. In verse 10, Jesus will call him the teacher in Israel. Uh, he was influential. He's called here a ruler of the Jews. And so he was part of the ruling Sanhedrin. And so he had authority. He was probably very wealthy. In his day, anybody looked at Nicodemus, they would say, if anybody's going to get in the kingdom of God, it's that guy. He checked all the boxes when it came to Jewish spirituality. We're told here, John tells us, that Nicodemus came at night. And it may be that he came at night because he didn't want other people to see him talking to Jesus. It may be that that's when Jesus was free of the crowds. That's when Jesus had the opportunity. Uh, John may be, sig may be signaling spiritual darkness. This theme runs throughout the Gospel of John. Darkness and light, night and day. You find Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, John, John says, and it was night. And so he may be signaling that, that Nicodemus is living in spiritual darkness. But he begins this conversation with Jesus by making an observation. He's very respectful. He says, Rabbi, 
We know that you have come from God as a teacher. Why? For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Later in the Gospel of John, you see that the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus with their questions and their observations. They were trying to, to kind of catch him in some, some logical or some theological lie. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with Nicodemus. He's very sincere. He's very honest, as we'll see. He's very respectful. He calls him rabbi. And he basically observes that these miraculous signs is Jesus it appears to us that you have come from God and that God is with you because of what you do. Uh, nobody turns water to wine uh, just by human effort alone. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't really comment on Nicodemus's observation, but he, he redirects the conversation. Instead of talking about what is true about himself, he'll talk about himself later, but he speaks about what must be true of Nicodemus or anybody in this room, if you want to see the kingdom of God. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, he says this three times in this chapter. When he says that, he's saying, I'm telling you something that is profoundly true. You need to get what I'm about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All Jews in the first century wanted to see the kingdom of God. Uh, their concept of the kingdom of God was this future kingdom. They really saw it as the reestablishment of the Davidic kingdom, that, that Israel would finally occupy all the territory God had promised, and her, her enemies would be subdued. And this is something that would happen at the end of the age. Jesus has a different, different, uh, a different perception. He had God's perception of the kingdom. For him, he was talking about God reigning over the entire world and with this radical transformation that would happen one person at a time. Uh, people could enter and experience this kingdom here and now. Not fully, but you could begin to experience the kingdom here and now. And it would be a kingdom of sons and daughters of God. And so everybody in this kingdom is going to be in God's family. It's God's family is God's kingdom. He reigns over them. Now, Jesus shocked Nicodemus when he told him this in verse 3. He shocked him when he told him that entering the kingdom of God is something that is completely and utterly outside of Nicodemus's control. It involves being born, okay? You don't birth yourself, okay? You are born. And so Nicodemus's pedigree, irrelevant. Being intelligent, being educated is better than being unintelligent and uneducated, but uh, with knowledge comes pride sometimes. And so that's not going to get you into the kingdom of God. He says you have to be born. And by using the metaphor of birth, he's telling Nicodemus, this is something that's completely dependent on another. This translation says, unless one is born again. A uh, better translation would be the NIV. Uh, some, that word again can also be translated from above. He says, unless one is born from above. Uh, Nicodemus's response makes clear that he understood again. He, he, it's, a, it's a second birth, and he was not wrong. Jesus was talking about a second birth. You're born physically. You also need to be born spiritually. 
But Jesus' reply uh, indicates that, that he was also talking about a birth from above. It's a birth that comes from God. The Spirit comes from God. Jesus has descended from heaven. And Jesus uh, Jesus' comment about being born again was so far beyond Nicodemus's categories and so far beyond his experience that it just sounded ludicrous. And so he throws this out there. I, just, I love Nicodemus. I love his honesty. And sometimes I kind of fake it. I don't want people to know that I, I really don't have any idea what you're talking about. But Nicodemus just lays it out there. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? And then he gives this scenario. Just This is his way of saying this is crazy talk, Jesus. He said, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Well, of course not. And in our day, if you if sometimes the designation of born-again Christian, is, uh, it has all sorts of connotations. Uh, sometimes that when people say, well, you're, you're a born-again Christian, it means you're very emotional, you are overly zealous, you're probably pretty mean, that type of thing. Sometimes it has political connotations. Uh, it's kind of a voting block. You have knee-jerk, right-wing reactions to everything. That's what a born-again Christian does. But Jesus didn't have any of those things in his mind when he talked about this. Jesus talked about being born from above as the essential experience if you want to see, if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And so it's the essential experience. Jesus didn't talk about, he didn't call his followers Christians, okay? He called them disciples. But in this terminology, we would say born again Christian is the only kind of Christian. He said, you must be born from above. And again, in verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you've got to get this. This is so profound. It's so essential that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What did he mean by being born of the water? Well, there's, there's about six different options. Some people would say, well, he's talking about the natural birth, being born of water, amniotic fluid, something like that. Uh, the problem is the literature of that day, you, you never have uh, being born of water as a metaphor for childbirth. And so it's very unlikely. Well, some would say, well, maybe he's talking about baptism, John's baptism of repentance, or maybe Christian baptism. But again, in context, that would have been fairly irrelevant to Nicodemus. It's, it's, being baptized was not an option for Nicodemus. Uh, it's much more likely that Jesus was speaking of one event using two terms, being born of the spirit and the water, of being born of the water and the spirit, both speak about the new birth. He was saying that one needs to be born of water, that is the spirit. And there's an intriguing clue of what Jesus means down in verse 10, where he says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel. You are the teacher of Israel, meaning you have studied the Hebrew scriptures. He said, you should understand from the Hebrew scriptures what I'm talking about. You should, what we call the altar, you should know from your study this, this image of being born of water and the spirit. And, and about the only passage in the Old Testament that talks about that is Ezekiel 36, especially verses 25 through 27. And we don't have time to look at it in, in detail, but it's a passage where it's basically a classic restatement of the new covenant. This is this new thing God's going to do. He's never done it before. He says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water upon you 
and your idolatry will be washed away. Your, your sin will be cleansed from you. And he says, and I'm going to take your heart of stone, meaning your heart that is unresponsive, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, meaning a heart that's alive, a heart that actually beats, a heart that is responsive to me. And then he says, and I'm going to put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell those who are in this new covenant. And so it's very likely that Jesus was referring back to Ezekiel 36 when he says here that, that unless one is born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, just as wash, uh, water washes your body clean, God washes away your sin. He gives you a new heart, one with new desires. This is one of the marks of being born from above. You realize that you have different appetites. You have this desire. You're, you're alive to God. We are born dead. We are born in sin, dead. And then you are born from above, and you now have these desires, these appetites that you did not have before. When you're born from above, God puts his spirit within you, and that's the power to obey. The, he, gives, he empowers us, he teaches us, he leads us. And so that's what's necessary to be born into God's kingdom and God's family. Well, let's skip down to verse 9. Again, this is all very bewildering to Nicodemus, and he just lays it out there. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? And Nicodemus' lack of understanding prompts this comment by Jesus, verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so there's this contrast between the earthly and the heavenly. And beginning in verse 13, Jesus shifts the focus to himself and his role in bringing eternal life. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, namely the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. Jesus said, I'm, I'm the, that Son of Man described in Daniel 7, who's coming on the clouds, who is going to establish God's kingdom, defeat his enemies, and establish his kingdom. And then in verse 14, he gives this, in 14 and 15, he gives this uh, analogy uh, with an Old Testament event. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and that's an account found in Numbers 21. You may remember the people rebelled, and so God sent these plague of poisonous snakes, and they went into the camp, and they bit people, and some people die. Moses cries out to God, and he said, relent, God, will you, you spare us? And he says, okay, Moses, put a bronze snake on a pole and hold it up. And if people look to the bronze snake who have been bitten, they will be healed. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so just like the snake was lifted up, Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. He would die as our substitute so that... And here's the first time in this passage that, that Nicodemus has something to do, okay? Everything else God is doing. He is birthing you. He is giving you the spirit. He's washing you. But here he says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so a response of faith is essential. And eternal life is, is life of the age to come. It's the resurrection life found in him. 
And so just like they look to the, the bronze snake, everybody that looks up to Jesus and believes on him will be healed. You'll have your, your sin washed away. You'll be given a heart of flesh. The spirit will indwell you. Nicodemus is found two other places in the gospel of John. One of those is in John 19. He comes to the cross. He sees Jesus lifted up. He and his friend Joseph wanted to, to take the body to prepare him for burial. And so we have evidence that, that, John, uh, that Nicodemus understood this and actually turned to Jesus and believed and experienced eternal life. And so this is a very succinct statement of the gospel. Jesus was lifted up on the cross as our substitute so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This response of faith is necessary. And this brings us to the famous John 3.16, the end zone verse, right? Here we have it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so it turns out that God didn't only love Israel. He didn't only love the Jewish people. He actually loved the world. He loved everybody in the world, not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And it's striking when it says that God so loved the world. He had this intense love for the world because in a number of places in Scripture, we're told, do not love the world. But in that case, he's saying, don't love the ways of the world. Don't enter in and participate in the ways of the world. Here, when it says God so loved the world, it means he had this intense desire to redeem people out of the world. And he so loved the world, it was so intense. This translation, the New American Standard, says that he gave his only begotten son. A better translation is the NIV and, and other translations that say his his one and only son. That's a better translation. So he's talking about he, he loved us so much that he sent his unique son so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You won't perish, you'll have eternal life. It's another way of saying you will see, you will enter into the kingdom. You'll be part of God's family. If you've attended faith for any period of time, you've heard me say this, but every time I, I read this passage, I can't help them think of this. And so I have one son, okay? I have a one and only son. He's almost 25 years old. And, uh, and I, I love, I love people. I do. But I would never, I would never give my son to die for anybody. And so whatever else we know, God is more compassionate than me. God gave his unique son to die for our sins. And so that, that's the offer. God longs for people to experience life. He doesn't, he doesn't want to condemn people. He says that's why he sent Jesus, so people would not be condemned. He wants people to experience life. And so the, based on this passage, the core question that Jesus would ask you today is, are you born from above? Have you been born from above? Have you been washed? Has your sin been washed away? Has your heart been, has your heart come alive? Does God's spirit dwell within you? Uh, do you have eternal life? 
And so that's the core question. I want to ask three questions that kind of help us get at that question and kind of highlight some of the issues that we've discussed in this passage. Now, the first one is this. Ask yourself the question, do I desire to live as God's daughter or son? Because that's really what Jesus is offering. We've seen that from the imagery. When you're born, you are born into a family. And so the question is not, do I want to go to heaven after I die? Okay, you will go to the presence of God after you die. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, enter the kingdom so you can go. No, he says, enter the kingdom so that you can live as a child of God. So that you can relate to God as your father, as a good father. And so in John 1, this is very, very explicit. He uses this imagery. John 1, 11. He, Jesus, came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. By and large, the Jewish people rejected him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So you believe, you, you become a child of God, you are born again into God's family. And then he qualifies it in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, that's the first birth, but of God, the second birth. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul wrote that God has sent forth his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When you are born from above, you will have this, this internal testimony. You're spiritually, you will cry out to God as your father. You, you, you will just instinctively do that. And that may be harder for some of us than others, depending on how you, the word father and the whole concept of fathers to you. But, but God will show you that he is, he is this father who loves you. And he's a father who disciplines you for your good. He teaches you. He protects you. He guides you. You're able to pray to him in secret as your father, and you know that he hears you in secret. And so the question is, do, do you want to live as a son or, or daughter of God? The second question, this, and these will help you, the, how you answer these questions will affect whether you experience the new birth. If you don't want to, if you don't want to be born into God's family, yeah, you, you don't want the new birth because that's what it is. The second question, do I understand that my past neither qualifies nor disqualifies me when it comes to God's family? And so for Nicodemus, he's the one that checked all the boxes spiritually. He needed to understand that this pedigree did not qualify him for the kingdom of God. Everybody comes, comes empty-handed. And that may be where you are. Honestly, you may be a person, you, you, may, you may have this spiritual pedigree. Maybe you grew up in a family that was very devout and you, you are just regular in church and you're prominent in your community. Uh, you may have done a lot of Christian things. I mean, you may, you may know the Bible uh, from cover to cover. You, you may be more spiritual than 99% of the people you know. That does not gain you entrance. It does not qualify you for the kingdom of God. Okay, Those, that's a good foundation. But you must be born from above. You have to be born into God's family. We'll see next week, John 4, Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. She did not check any boxes, okay? She had a past. And what Jesus says to her is, that doesn't disqualify you. He, he talks about living water, but, but he says, same thing. That doesn't disqualify you. 
And that may be your case. You may come here today and you, you may think about your past and you have so much guilt. You may feel like the shame is just dripping off you and you think, how could I ever be acceptable to God? Well, Paul never got over the fact. says it in 1 Timothy 1. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save good people, righteous people. No, he came into the world to save sinners, okay? So if you, if you understand that you are sinful, you qualify. That's who Jesus came to save. That's who can enter into God's family. And third, the question to ask yourself is, do I believe in Jesus, God's one and only son, that he died in my place? And so this is the essential thing. This is the only thing we're told to do here in John 3, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will experience the new birth. Now, that may leave you kind of shaking your head because you may be thinking, well, either you believe or you don't. There's nothing you can do. It's like... Either you are or you aren't, do or don't have belief. Well, that's actually not the truth. The truth. You can actually put yourself in a position uh, to believe. You can put yourself in a position for God to work in your heart. This past week, I reached out to a, a friend of mine uh, who attended faith about 20 years ago. Her uh, maiden name was Sarah Emerson. Her name is Sarah Roach. Some of you uh, remember Sarah. But I asked her if she would write up her, her testimony And uh, she was kind enough to do that. And uh, I want to read it because it it gives you an example of how someone put herself in a place to believe. She she wanted, she was open to believing. And so this is is some of her, her story. She says, I was raised in a Reformed Jewish home and part of a very small Jewish community in the Denver area. We only had services once a month and eventually started a weekly Sunday school program for the kids in our congregation. I always believed in God, but didn't go much deeper than the preparation I did for my bat mitzvah at age 13. Growing up in the minority in my neighborhood and schools, a few people would, quote, witness to me over the years. The same held true when I started attending college at K-State in 1996. Then I met the man who would become my husband, Kenan. He witnessed to me in a way I'd never experienced. Out of his true love for Jesus, he would read me verses from the Bible and patiently explain them. He would ask why I believed what I believed and why I didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I began to think more and dig deeper myself. I started attending a New Believer Sunday School class with him at Faith, Faithy Free, in Manhattan in 1999. Everyone in the class was just as patient and kind and loving as Kenan. And she talks about how she, when she'd come to the class, she'd read things. She said, it just sounds that way because that's a Christian Bible. And she'd go home and look in her Jewish Bible in the, the Tanakh, and she'd say, wow, it, it says the same thing. And so that got her attention. Uh, she took a trip to Israel. It's called a birthright trip, which uh, Jews have this, this right to, to take. Uh, one of my nieces took that. But uh, she continued to study the Jewish faith. And she says, at one point, while in Israel, we were encouraged to take time to meditate on what we had learned. I sat on a park bench, looked up at the sky, and prayed to God to show me what was true and what he wanted me to do. I closed my prayer, I lowered my head, and there in front of me was a church. 
and she took that as something of a sign. I continued to search and pray when I returned home and then back at K-State that fall. While sitting in a worship service at Faith Efree on one Sunday morning, October of 2000, it all clicked and I knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He had saved me from my sins and I believed. And so she came to this realization. She said, I believe. I, I know that I believe. And I love her story for a lot of different reasons. One, one reason I love it is because it proves that, that you don't have to be passive when it comes to wanting to enter the kingdom, wanting to experience eternal life. There are many things you can do, like her. Uh, you can listen to the word. If you're not a believer, we love that you are here and that you're, you're coming to hear the word. You can talk to friends who believe, have spiritual conversations. And you can actually ask God, God, would you show me, is this true? Would you open my eyes? Would you, would you do this work in my heart? Would you give me faith? And when you talk to, to followers of Christ, you'll find that their experience uh, varies widely on how they came to Christ. Some people will tell you, I know the exact day and time I trusted in Christ. Other people would say, yeah, I can't say the exact time. All I know is that I believe, present tense. And that's what really matters. Uh, sometimes you use this illustration. Uh, I'll switch it up a little bit here. But you're taking two people on a bus from Columbia, Missouri to Manhattan, Kansas. One person is wide awake looking out the window. And that person knows exactly when you cross the Kansas border. Welcome to Kansas. And they could tell you the exact time, day and time that they, they got here. The other person fell asleep. They woke up when the bus stopped in Manhattan. They say, I really can't tell you exactly when. All I know is that I am here. Okay? That's what matters. And spiritually speaking, you have two people. They're in exactly the same place. They would both say, I believe. I absolutely believe that Jesus is the Christ. He died for my sins. And one can tell you when. The other can't. What matters is that you believe. And so I would encourage you, where, wherever you are in your walk with God, is to put yourself in a position to, to take the next step. If you're a believer, uh, experience God as your Heavenly Father like never before. If you're not yet, put yourself in a place to be convinced to believe. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> if you have realized today, maybe for the first time, that you believe... You really do, that you, you believe that Jesus died on the cross as your substitute and that God wants to cleanse you from your sin. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to put his spirit within you. you want to, he wants to give you this new birth. And then express that faith to God. Just cry out to God and say, God, I believe. That's what I want. I confess that I've sinned. I've offended you, but Jesus died in my place. Confess that to God. And look for signs of new life. Look for signs of life. And if you have done that today, I would, I would encourage you to tell a friend, tell somebody, write it on the card, let me know, tell somebody that that's happened. If you are willing to be convinced, uh, I would encourage you to put yourself in a place where you can, where you can hear the word, where you can have conversations with people. Uh, rooted would be a great, a great experience for you if you want to go deeper and learn about what it means to know God. Uh, but don't, don't waste this opportunity. Heavenly Father, we, we bring ourselves before you, and we ask that 
uh, as we walk through the rest of this day and into this week, that we, we will have ringing in our minds that you must be born from above if you want to see the kingdom. God, we pray that, that, uh, you will, that we will encourage one another in this, that we might see many in our midst come to you and experience new life. God, may this be a community where we see new life, just regularly people coming to Christ and experiencing you because you're the best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.